Hello and welcome to the show. Before we get started with part two of our amazing interview with Carissa Hendricks, I need to tell you about something that's happening right now. Um, it's the 29th of March, and for the rest of the week, we're doing a download sale. Ten downloads for 50 bucks. So if you're listening to this in the future, this is of no use to you because the sale will have stopped. This isn't just any old sale. This is tip-top quality downloads. There's stuff from Williamson, from Bill Goodwin, from Danny Garcia, from The Bucks, from Danny Da Ortiz, Tamariz, Jared Kopf, Paul Wilson, Assie Wind, Ricky Smith. This is proper good. And you can get 10 downloads for 50 bucks. Just go to vanishinginkmagic.com slash download sale. Right now, let's get on with part two of our interview with the very talented... Carissa Hendricks. When and where and how was Lucy born? So every character I've ever created, um, I've n- I now know because uh, there's so much stuff that I like. I-, I worry that I'm rewriting history, but I don't think I am. I think that the pandemic and this time with Lucy has given me lots of time to reflect because the rest of my life I have spent trying to survive. And so when you're just trying to survive, you just do stuff. And right. it's all, you know, I was such an, I was an animal of instinct and I was just trying to do more shows and just trying to survive and just making stuff. And, you know, the, the amount of times I'd, <laughs> this happened all the time. I'd do a show, I'd get home at midnight and then have a kid's show at 8 a.m. That happened all the time. Like I was just trying to survive. And uh, like, I have no fallback plan. My parents have no money. Like if, <laughs> if this doesn't work, that's it for me. Uh, but I think, I'll, I think I'll be okay now. So I was just trying to survive. So now I have time to think back on what was going on. And I loved doing characters because characters were very bookable. They were mm-hmm. fun to perform as. They allowed my different entertainment products to be very separate. So it, it was just a, quite a practical decision to do characters. And I was good at it. And, uh, and now looking back, I realize all of my characters past 22, past the time I was doing like, oh, it's a punk rock princess. Like just, just like weird things because I liked the aesthetic. When I started creating characters that were actually characters, because I think we all do that at first. We're like, my character is an old timey 1940s boy. And I'm like, that's not a character. That is a, a genre. Uh, and so our first characters for pretty much everyone are just genre. They're just aesthetic. There's no heart there. Um, but once I started taking some acting training, I learned, oh, okay, so the character has to be, you know, a character is really what their motivations are. It's mm-hmm. their text and their subtext. And all of the characters I created like that were all born of whatever I was anxious about at the time. Oh, okay. So I have a, I have an anxiety disorder, um, which means that I sometimes don't let myself feel my feelings because uh, my feelings are a lie. And, uh, and so my feelings that aren't a lie... I had, as I guess, a survival tactic, been creating these characters to like pretend at being these kinds of people. So, for example, when I started getting um, more popular, more successful, after I got my first world record, uh, I created this stunt girl character who had like crazy neon green and neon uh, blue pigtail things, and she was super cool. Um, and uh, she was ve- she was really like soft dominance because that was a thing I wasn't sure if I could still be I had always been quite soft and fluffy in our community but now I was the queen I had the Guinness World Record I had been teaching people how you fire and so I was kind of playing with these personality things of like can I still be generous and also be the queen because you know Beyonce is Beyonce and 
she's very cool and she comes across as very like strong and like can you be strong and soft at the same time? Right. And I think that's what I was exploring there. And then my kids show character Dee Dee was when I started meeting famous people and having famous friends or like you know famous within magic, so like nobody. But when you're a young magician or a young <laughs> Sideshow person, like you, you've been looking up to these people your whole life, and you're like, oh my goodness, it's this person no one knows except for me, but they're famous, and um, and it gave me some status. And I would come back to Calgary, and I would say, oh, I got to meet so and so, and people would react weird. They'd be like, oh, you know, and I was like, oh, am I a name dropper? Am I not allowed to share these experiences? Should I keep this to myself? And so Dee Dee is sort of like Daffy Duck is the best way to explain it. Like she thinks she's really famous. So she's like, she's got her, in her mind, she has her own TV show and she has her own theme song. So at the beginning of my kids show, I put on my theme song and I try to get the kids to sing along as if they should know the lyrics. And then I just get more and more frustrated that they don't know the lyrics. So Dee Dee just thinks she's really famous and she's just not. And it's, you know, her hubris is all the failure in the show and the kids really identify with that because I think all kids are like, I'm so strong. And then you find out you're not strong. So really right. it's just like an allegory for the kids of who they are but sure, for me sure. it was me learning how to be who I was now here I'm this girl living in Calgary doing corporate shows but I'm also stage managing at Magic Live and and meeting all these famous people every summer and you know I all, all these things that are giving me a lot of status but also I'm still just me yeah, and yeah. how do I resolve those things sure so I, I say that to say where Lucy came from because what had started to happen was that I, I ran a mid-sized entertainment firm in Western Canada called Ballyhoo Entertainment. I had a big house. I didn't own the house, but we rented it. We rented a, a three-story gorgeous house. I was doing really, really well. And I didn't know how to be who I was because I was being per perceived as being very intelligent, perceived as being very successful and financially stable perceived as very funny. These are all forms of power. Mm -hmm. And what had happened was I started losing my friends. Um, and it was, this is the first, it's happened a few times since this. Um, but basically when you, when you hit like another level of celebrity or success, it sort of shakes the tree and some of your friends sometimes fall out okay. um, because they're not comfortable. Like we, we compare ourselves to other people and sometimes it's just hard emotionally for people who've been comparing themselves to you to see you be successful. Right. Uh, or maybe it was me. Maybe I had behavioral things sure. that made me annoying or I was just more, less emotionally available. But I ended up in the situation where I kept thinking, am I unlikable? Is, is power in a woman unlikable? And then I thought, oh, well, magic is really a, an art form that is about power. It is, yeah. So what if I created a character that was very woman. Like basically the most, I mean, I, my characters have always been kind of androgynous in a way. And so I never really created a woman, woman character. I mean, mm -hmm. I did Yefairi's stepmother, which was, I guess, my one like super feminine character. But like, you know, I wanted something that was like the most feminine and also the most powerful. She's effortlessly funny. She's wealthy. She's an, an opulent and in charge. And can I still make that person likable? And it was kind of a social experiment. Uh, and I happen to really like old movies and I've always really loved the transatlantic accent. So, uh, and I had, anyway, I had this idea and I've been pitching it to people for like a year and everybody went, you can't do that's a really bad idea. Don't do that. That's so bad. That is a dumb idea. Everybody, everybody hated it. Uh, 
And then I was at the Atlanta Magic Convention and I stayed an extra day to take Zabrecki's workshop. Mm-hmm. And I pitched the idea in Zabrecki's workshop. And he did his like Zabrecki thing where he's like really looking at you. <laughs> and he goes, this is, this is a great idea. You have to do this. And it was the first note of approval I ever got. And it's from and Zabrecki. I took that t- so it's like- <laughs> and it's from Zabrecki. So what do those people know? So I took Idiots. that like little kernel that like little, that little tiny little validation, and I put it in a little box inside my body, and I used that to finish the character. Right. But because there was so much like negative, especially in my local community about it, I mean, I, I hired an accent, I did everything right. I hired an accent coach, I hired a good songwriter to write the songs, I, I came up with a bunch of new magic that I designed myself. I put in material that of mine already that I knew worked and I retooled it. I did everything right. But I also had from Nick Nicholas heard about this magic convention in Australia the summer before when I was hanging out with him at the the Fringe Festival because he's a street performer. And I thought, you know what? This is perfect. I'm going to fly out literally to the other side of the world and then I'll fail and no one will ever know. Uh-huh. And no one will go, I oh, told you so. I just won't ever tell anyone, uh-huh. and no one will ever find out. So I got on a plane, and again, the flight was very contentious. And when we landed, Jamie was so tired, it was my ex-wife, and that she went to go, st- we were staying at Tim's actually, so she went to go to Tim's to stay. But I had booked a burlesque show that night, because After that's a, where I cut my teeth. After whatever hour I- flight. Mm-hmm, yeah, okay. no sleep, yeah. no sleep. Okay, yeah, I'm so going to measure I- you now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but, but that's, that's what I'm used to. And I, and I had promised myself to not do Lucy before I got to Australia because I didn't want any notes from any local guys. I didn't want any, I didn't want anything because it was so different than the other stuff I'd done. And, but, but Burlesque Clubs has always been where my heart and soul is. It's always where I cut my teeth and it just made perfect sense. And uh, I did Moulin Beige and I had a plan. I was going to actually eat fire in that show. And so I had a card trick in my pocket or I guess I didn't have in like a little bit purse and I had my firing stuff and I walked on stage as Lucy for the first time. And the act that had been on before me was a guy wearing nothing but a colander. And as soon as I walked on stage, a baby cried in the audience. So I did eight minutes on the colander and the baby. And I didn't do it on purpose. I just started talking. But with that voice, people were paying attention in a different uh. way. And I was funnier in a different way. And so I did my eight minutes. And then I sort of looked at the woman who hired. And she was like, ah, this is the funniest thing. And then I went, oh, right. Um, my darling, should I perhaps actually do something for you? Since I, I just realized I just went on a bit of a rant. Uh, all right. I have a few options for you. Um, okay. Let me think. Um, one, I could... Um, Build a birdhouse. What? No? No fans of carpentry? Okay, no. How about, oh, I could name some varieties of dog. No, I'm really quite good at it. Um, poodle, chow chow, there are more. Oh, okay, no. Or I could uh, eat fire with my very mouth, and the crowd goes wild. And then I ate just a little bit of fire, and I left. And it was fine. It was a decent segue, but it was not the act I wrote. And uh, and then I got to do, and like I said, I got to do the show I wrote once before I basically did what I did this burlesque show. But it's so weird because the first time, and I and I remember sitting in the cab on the way home and just going, what the hell just happened? 
what? <laughs> Who was that? Like, I'd, I'd never done a character before that so took over. Yeah, yeah, and because yeah. I think she was, she was, you know, I'd, I'd spent so much time thinking about power and, you know, where her power came from in her body and who she was. And I was so, I, I mean, I walk into a burlesque club anywhere in the world and I'm at home. And it was just the perfect combination. It was like the perfect chrysalis for her to be like, born. Do you think it's easier to perform in character? Because I, I think I, I dislike um, podcasts where the host goes on about what they think, but <laughs> I'm just going to momentarily, that I've got a character <laughs> thing and the limitations of the character make it easier, I think. And I wondered whether you agreed with that or disagreed. So, I mean, I think it's, I think it's the same, but in different ways. So okay, I think when on. you perform as yourself, it's exactly what you're saying about limitations where you don't have to do as much pre-work when you're performing as yourself. You don't have to think about like, you kind of just think about who you are mm -hmm. and what you want to say and what matters to you and kind of what parts of your personality you're going to sort of push. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of pick whatever you want. Sure. Uh, and you're right. That can be really freeing or that can be really limiting. With a character, there's a lot of work before you walk on stage. There's a lot right. of work of who this person is and how they react to things. Mm -hmm. And that is very much going to limit the material you can choose. And that's mm -hmm. also going to limit the places you can go. So you sure. might have, there are tons of things, tons, where I built a great trick. And I tried to do it as Lucy. And then I called a friend of mine and said, hey, I think this is yours. Because uh, I wrote this routine and it just doesn't belong to Lucy. So it, in a lot of ways, it's easier. It's easier to be funny in character for me. Um, but you have to recognize there's going to be a lot work. more work. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot more pr primary work before you get into it. And then doing it is actually easier. Uh, and it, it is hard sometimes. I'm sure you've had this with your character, walking down the the halls at a magic convention and seeing stuff that just, it makes your magic brain tingle. You just think, oh, it's so pretty. And it's it's so many electronics. I just want it. And then I think, you know, I, I do have a, a, a show I do as myself. I do have a close-up show I do as myself. But the point of that show is that it's quite minimal. So unless this thing is Lucy appropriate or fairly minimal, I can't have it. Right. But I want it. I want it so bad. And so that part can sometimes be hard, too, because I'm just like, yeah, I want weird dice. Sure, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but, <laughs> but it's, it's cool. a cool toy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I want three about, of them. <laughs> talking about um, material selection and cool dice. Um, when you're thinking about material for Lucy, what comes first? The effect, a joke or a line, a method? What's your thought process? It's, it's all over the place. It's different every time. So, okay. you know, with the book production that I did on Fool Us, that mm. started with a joke. Um, right. Because I have this rule for Lucy, and I, I've actually extended it to my solo show as well, where magic and comedy are both eating at the same fuel source, right? Mm -hmm. They're both surprise. And so they both build from an expectation that is subverted. Now, I think that's part of why a lot of people who do comedy magic they are either really good comedy people or they're really good magic people. And the other thing suffers. It's hard to do both well because they're eating the same fuel source. Sure. Uh, so what will happen is a good comedian will prioritize comedy and they'll feel the tension building in the, in the crowd instead of 
letting that tension ride so they can get the best of best juice out of the magic trick they'll step on it with a punchline because they want to they want to use that fuel up and a comedian or a good magician who doesn't have a big comedy background will instinctively do the opposite where they'll write a few jokes at the beginning then as the tension of the trick builds they'll forget to be funny um but recognizing they're sort of twins and they need yeah, yeah. a way to interact with each other it was a breakthrough for me for this character. And so I actually published an article about this. Some I don't know what it was called The Third Surprise, which is the idea that I try to make it so the structures of what I'm setting up are ambiguous. And when they're not ambiguous, they're setting up the thing that you don't think they're setting up. So if I say something that seems too punchline-y, like I'm leading up to a joke. The thing that follows that, I try to make it a magic. And if I'm right. too obviously like leading towards a magic, then I'll try to make that be a punchline. So that now there's a sort of a third surprise and comedy and magic both work on surprise, but the other surprise becomes like, what is she even gonna do? Like, what, what am I even looking yeah, at? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the yeah. first time I did the castle, I had written this joke. Uh, which I loved. And I sometimes write stuff that I'm just like, I love this. And part of what I loved about it is that it's just so something only I could write, which is, um, well, I'm so excited to be here tonight at the Magic Castle. And, and tonight, since I am here, I've decided I'm going to prove once and for all, for all of you lovely people, that magic is indeed a true art form. Now, it is only fair that in order to make this you know, a fair judgment. I offer you something as a point of comparison. So, tonight I'll begin my act by reading the first 92 pages of Crime and Punishment. <laughs> In its original Russian. <laughs> which is a pretty good joke. But it's a better magic trick if I just, like, produce Crime and Punishment. So, I was like, oh, I should produce Crime and Punishment. So, I, did, I looked it up. I called Biz. I called everybody. Nobody had a method for producing a book, which is how I invented the method that I used on Fool Us for producing a book. So, that came from I wrote a punchline and I went, this should be a magic trick. Uh -huh. um, the, sometimes I have an, an image in my head. And if I don't get it out, I will claw my face off. So, right now, we're working on a thing in the show where I build a. I basically do like an impossible balance with um, glassware. Uh, so I basically balance objects and then I remove certain objects and then you get this really beautiful sculpture, but all with crystal glasses because I love the tension of balance and glass and I love it for Lucy. And I also love the idea of like letting Lucy do a silent act where she just gets more and more nervous and like one of the glasses she just keeps drinking out of so she gets more and more drunk. So you also, there's also added tension of like you seeing her, like she's like kind of like not, you know, so there's sort of the balance is coming from two aspects. The crystal yeah, yeah, yeah. is going to break. Uh, the balance is getting more precarious and Lucy's getting less particular. Um, and I just had this image in my head of the specific balance. And, and I've spent the last two months designing that right. um, with methods that I don't think have... Ex I mean, they're, they're methods for in other areas, like they're optical uh -huh. illusion things that I'm bringing into magic. And then sometimes my method is, and this is more often than I like to admit, sometimes all it is is I see a trick and I go, huh, that's awful. Parasols are awful. I'm sorry, what is the logic of this routine? Hello, I am a great and powerful magician. I require an umbrella. Look, I have produced an umbrella. I now despise this umbrella. I shall throw it to the ground. Hmm, that reminds me. I require a totally identical umbrella. Let me do that 17 more times. What is this trick? This trick yeah. is so dumb. 
Um, but I did love the visual of like pow. And I, I realized mm -hmm. like, okay, the visual of the fireworks of the production is distracting people by how stupid this is. Right. Uh, I will make it better. And so I came up with, I, I wrote a new one, which I did at Monday Night Magic, and I think I did it at Booby Trap. I did it a few times. I don't do it as much anymore because I do eight parasols from a corset and a mini skirt, and it is insanely painful. It is the most painful thing. It's, it's the closest thing to sideshow I've ever done in magic because if you think about it, where are those parasols, Krista? Uh -huh. If you're wearing a mini skirt and a corset, where they are is inside my rib cage. So it is quite painful, but it looks great. And that's what happened with the bottle production as well, was that I remember, and this, I should say, I had never seen Tommy Cooper, I had never seen Pop Hayden. There are a lot of really great multiplying bottle routines. But at the time I had seen three and they were all terrible. Mm -hmm. Every routine looked the same. Every routine was like, oops, I've made a mistake. Yeah, but yeah. there's no context for why that's funny or interesting. Mm -hmm. I've just made a mistake. So my brain immediately goes, okay, that's obviously part of the method. And then and then there's the first switch, which looks good. And then they basically just show us the method because they basically just yeah, show yeah, us all yeah. the bottles. So you're like, oh, okay, they nest. Like there's just no trick there. So I remember thinking, this is really bad, but it's also quite clever. Hmm. So I got hired to do another run where I was doing like two shows a day. I bought a set of multiplying bottles. I refinished them. I went to art school, as I'm sure everybody knows. I refinished them so they were shiny AF. I put like 12 layers of varnish on them, which is really the secret to my multiplying bottles routine is that they are the shiniest bottles in the entire world because there is this much <laughs> like shellac on it. Um, I redid the labels so the labels looked really, really good. Like I made them really really good like they're not clockable they look fantastic and the ones i actually use now i had spun i actually had somebody spin them out of aluminum i made them from scratch because i was so particular so i made these great bottles and then i put a gopro on the front of my table mm -hmm. hidden in the tassel so you can't see it and i filmed the audience for 30 shows in the same venue and i changed the pace and i changed the structure and i took things in and out and what i looked for is people going yeah, because there's a moment in every multiplying bodies routine where about 10% of the audience goes, oh, they go into each other. Oh, okay, that makes right. sense. And so I rewrote it and I restructured it and eventually, I, and also I record all, uh, I still do this in my show, but I always take audio tracks and I put them into an audio program and I look at the wave function and I layer wave functions of different shows so I can see what show is doing better because you can see it's a larger wave function, but also that allows you to see anomalies. So you can see like, oh, these waves match and they don't match. Well, I must have done an improv thing there or I said something right. particularly funny. So it helps you visually like li listen to where you did new stuff. And so I would pull the wave functions and I'd see the wave function grow, grow for this show and it was smaller for this show. And I figured out the, in my opinion, the optimal amount of bottles, the right. optimal pacing of like, it's gotta go slow, slow, quick, quick, slow. So it's very like a tango, cause that's exactly the pattern of tango. Is, slow, yeah. slow, quick, quick, slow. So that's the pacing for the routine. And all of a sudden I had this killer routine and, and it was a killer routine I loved doing for magicians. It's why I did it at the castle for the first time because everyone has the thought I have when I see a multiplying bottles routine, which is you see the prop come out and you go, ugh. <laughs> and then by the end of it, they're like, that lady, that lady's very smart. <laughs> That's a very so scientific approach. I really approach. was excited to do it. A really scientific yeah, well, approach, I mean, the way you analyzed it. Is that, is that something that you apply to all new material or was that 
a thing for the yeah, multiplying bosses? Fortunately, <laughs> it it depends. I mean, I think a lot of the time. Um, I've got good instincts, and so I can kind of do that without doing the math of it. Right. And often you don't have uh, opportunities to get that data. So I do it a lot at the castle because that's three shows a night for seven nights in the same room. So you can actually compare that data. If you're going venue to venue, that system sounds super clever, but it actually doesn't work because there's too much variability. Sure. But if I do the castle, if I do Chicago Magic Lounge, if I do... Um, the House of Cards in Nashville, those are perfect venues. And so I'm always, you know, just on my phone, just on my phone in the same same place in the table so that you know exactly where it is. And uh, you're getting this data. You don't need the video. I know what I'm doing. I don't really need the video. Uh, and also, if I listen to it that night, I can usually extrapolate. If I hear a laugh, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did a face. Okay, so I'll remember I did that face because I can feel my face doing it. So, yeah, I try to be meticulous. Uh, I love this process. I think it's very... You learn how to do things really quickly. You get good really fast. It's also obviously like it's just like how when I first got started, you know, doing five shows a night for 25 nights or whatever. Um, but you don't always have an opportunity to. So sometimes you just kind of have to go on instinct and think, all right, well, I was a little off tonight, but I know that I learned this about this joke. And I know that I learned like, OK, I was unclear here. And so I have to be careful to be more specific. Um, we're, we're so we're so over time. Um. <laughs> that is my middle name, Carissa Overtime <laughs> Hendrix. No, I appreciate the time that you've given me. But we always end the show on four quick fire questions. Are you ready? No, but I'm going to do it anyway. Favorite pizza topping? Oh, my goodness. Um, when on the times I'm eating meat, capicola, and on the times I am not eating meat, feta. I've never tried feta on a pizza. Okay. So good. Fed in spinach. Mm. So right. good. Uh, favorite movie? Ooh, uh, True Romance. Favorite? Or no Up oars. in the Air. No Oars. Pick one. T true, true Romance. Okay. True Romance. Uh, Tarantino. Fa favorite person or people that make music? Oh, no. Mm. Uh, my best friend Simon has a project called Hello Moth, and it is hauntingly beautiful, electronic, and, like, gospel-y sounding weird. I love it. Weird electronic gospel. Uh, I'm intrigued. I'll go yeah. to Apple Music immediately it's, when it's, we're finished. Yeah. Yeah, Hello Moth. I, we, we sometimes talk about it as, like, soulless soul, because it's, it's, like, the most soulful music you've ever heard, but it's all being processed through like weird new technological instruments. So it's, okay. I'm it's intrigued. really great. They're, they're a really great magician. Who would you rather fight? A hundred Joshua Jays or one massive Andy Gladwin? A uh, hundred Joshua Jays just because I feel like they'd be really easy to distract. Sure. Um, by no, just being just like, shining. look at you guys. Well, or, or you could just get them to like talk to each other about how <laughs> cool they are and how handsome they are. Look at this are, bicep. And Right? Like, I, I don't think they'd end up fighting you. I think they'd end up just, like, hanging out with each other. Mutual admiration society. Yeah, they, yeah, exactly. They would just, they'd come up with some beautiful magic together, and they'd talk about how nice their hair is, and uh, how much they've overcome. And uh, so I wouldn't have to fight at all. I would just, like, walk through, because I would not be interesting to a bunch of Joshua Jays. You've won, Carissa <laughs> Hendricks. Um, go, thank you so much for your time. Go give your box of magic kids, kits to the lady who's come to get them, and uh, have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. You too. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm sorry. We did three times more time than you wanted to. (laughs) 